I'm Sarah Lippman. Welcome to Torati Mechanach Yomi with the OU Women's Initiative. Today we will be learning Divrei Hayamim Chronicles, Volume 1, Chapter 21. Except where otherwise noted, the principles used in today's class are based on the teachings and principles for teaching of Rav Moshe Eisman of Baltimore in his magnificent commentary in the Art Scroll Divrei Hayamim and in many recorded classes for which I am deeply grateful. All errors and misunderstandings are my own. Chapter 21 is such an interesting moment. It tells of the census that David took, the tragic plague which followed, and the revelation of the site for the Beis HaMikdash, the Holy Temple. What makes this such a fascinating moment is the difference in how these events are framed in the Book of Shmuel versus how they are framed here in Devre Hayamim. In the Book of Shmuel, which is the history of the royal house of David, the very final chapter, Shmuel Bey's chapter 24, tells this episode. And God's anger was yet kindled against Israel. The plague then is framed as the punishment for Israel's sins. And the census is God's method of initiating the plague. It's part of the punishment. Eventually, the prophet God tells David to build a mizbeach, an altar, on the property of Aravna the Yevusi. And the offerings brought there end the plague. Vateatsar Hamagefa Me'al Yisrael, the plague ended upon Israel. The end. But that's the book of Shmuel. That's history. We're learning Devre Hayamim, and this is destiny. And the events of this chapter are far from the end of the story. In fact, they're just the beginning of it. Devre Hayamim treats the census and the plague it caused as the prelude to the discovery of the site of the Holy Temple, the Beis Hamikdash. The next eight chapters, 22 through 29 of Divrei Hayamim, tell the detailed descriptions of the preparations, organization, collections, architectural drafting, and the human resources lined up for the temple which Shlomo HaMelech will build. In fact, these next eight chapters will be devoted to information which the Book of Shmuel does not discuss at all. Verses 1 through 6, Vayamod Satan al Yisrael, an adversary rose against Israel. Vayasesses David limnoses Yisrael, and instigated David to count Israel. And David said to Yoav and the officers of the people, Go count Israel from Beersheva to Dan, and bring it to me, so that I will know their number. And Yoav said, May Hashem add upon his people a hundred times as many as they are now. Are they not, my lord king, all servants to my lord? Why does my lord seek this thing? Why should this bring guilt upon Israel? But the king's instruction prevailed over Yoav, and so Yoav went out and traveled through all of Israel and came back to Jerusalem. And Yoav reported the number of the tally of the people to David. All of Israel came to 1,100,000 men capable of drawing a sword, and of Yehuda, 470,000 men capable of drawing a sword. But he did not count Levi and Binyamin among them, for the instruction of the king was offensive to Yoav. It was offensive to Yoav because he understood well that the Torah provides very clear guidelines about counting the Jewish people. It's to be avoided except for in times of great need, as told in the Gemara in Yuma, Chavbez Amad Bez. And when counting is necessary, it must be a limited to only a segment of the people, for example, men eligible for the army, and b the count shall be taken by collecting a half shekel contribution from each person and then counting the money, not the people. Yoav was a Talmud Chacham, a great scholar, a tzaddik, righteous, and a close friend and family member of David's. 
Rabbi Yisrael Reisman points out that in many cases, Yoav is able to help David by respectfully telling him where he might be going wrong and preventing mistakes. This chapter is the exception. Yoav tries to prevent David from counting the people, David insists, and Yoav inexplicably gives in. Presumably, this is God's hand at work here. How did this happen? How did God come to allow it to happen? When David was being pursued by Shaul, he understood that Shaul's mental state, the intermittent ruach ra'ah, which Hashem afflicted Shaul with, was not under Shaul's control. David was running for his life, but he never lost his respect for Shaul. And Shaul, for his part, still loved David like a son when the ruach ra'ah would lift. In chapter 26 of Shmuel Aleph, we read of the dramatic encounter in the Ziph wilderness. And Shaul recognized David's voice, and he said, Is that your voice, David, my son? And David said, My master, my king, it is my voice. Why does my lord pursue me? What have I done wrong? Please listen to me, my master and king. Im Hashem hesischabi, if God has instigated you against me, Yorach Mincha, then I will pray to him to accept my request to have pity on me. The Imbneha Adam Arurimheim Lifne Hashem, and if it is people, then they should be cursed before God. Rashi, Radak, Rabag, and others understand David to be asking Shaul, I know you really love me, so who is setting you against me? Is this a decree from God, or is there a person influencing you? The Talmud in Bracho 62b teaches, the Holy One, blessed be He, said to David, Did you just suggest that I am an inciter, that I caused somebody to do something wrong? Says God, I shall cause you to stumble in a matter that even school children know. When you take the sum of the children of Israel, each man shall give an atoning contribution for his soul, so that there will be no plague among them. That's a verse in Shmos chapter 30. Vayamod Satan al Yisrael, and an adversary was stood up against Israel. If ever we needed convincing that the battles of Divrei Hayamim are primarily battles of the spirit, here is an indication. Vayasesis David Limnosis Yisrael, and he instigated or provoked David to count the people. These are strong words. God wasn't pleased with David's choice of the word hesischa, if God has incited you, that he said to Shaul. Since when do we talk about God as inciting people to do the wrong thing? Immediately then it is written, and a Satan, an opponent, an accuser, arose against Israel. He incited David against them, saying, Go count Israel. And when David counted the population, he did not collect an atoning contribution from them. And as the Torah said, a plague began. Abarbanel makes it very clear. God's intention here was that David would suffer by being associated with the cause of the people's plague. But he is not actually rebuked for counting the people because that was God's means of punishing the people by David's hand. David was being punished by being associated, not tested in this chapter. The counting is a consequence for David, not a failure on his part. Various sources in the teachings of our sages indicate that the scope of the plague, while devastating, may have been more limited than it might seem. The Midrash Shocher Tov says that there were initially meant to be three days of plague, which is 36 daytime hours, However, the merit of the Ten Commandments, the two tablets, the five books of the Torah, 
the three patriarchs, the seven days of a Shabbos cycle, eight days to a bris, a circumcision, numbering 35 total merits, pleaded for mercy before God, and he canceled 35 hours of the plague. In the one remaining hour, however, 70,000 people died. And where God says to the Malach of destruction, Rav, that is plenty, you must withdraw, the Gemara in Brachos 62 teaches, God says, the Rav, meaning the death of the greatest percentage, or the greatest Rav, Rabbi, will provide enough suffering. And thus it was that Avishai ben Suruya died, who alone equaled the majority of the Sanhedrin in merit. Maybe, quote, only one person died in the plague, one person whose loss was devastating to the nation. In verse 15 we read, Let's read this verse with some precision in accordance with the reading of Chazal as brought by the Chida in Chomas Anach. And he set up an adversary against Israel. Who set up the adversary? God did. What form did the adversary take? God instigated David to count Israel. Thus it is David who is set up as an adversary against his own people. What did the Jewish people do wrong that caused Hashem to punish them? And why is David, who cares so much for his people, put in a horrible position of being their adversary, the one whose act of counting them is the direct cause of their suffering? Regarding where Yisrael went wrong, Chomas Anach quotes the Abarbanel, who attributes it to the sin of rebelling against David, God's chosen king, when some thousands of people followed Avshalom in his failed coup, a piece of history that does not even appear here in Divrei Hayamim. The Midrash in Tehillim says those thousands who fell in David's days fell because they did not demand or petition God for the construction of the Beis HaMikdash, the Holy Temple. In fact, Ramban, in his commentary on Bamidbar chapter 16, verse 21, says, Had the Jewish people desired to build the Beis Hamikdash, the Holy Temple, they could have, maybe even before David's time, or during his reign. Had they taken the initiative, in accordance with the mitzvah of Lashich no Sidrashu, searching for the place of the Shechina, the Divine Presence, they could have built it. It is for this reason that when God finally did send a prophetic revelation of the site of the temple, it came in an unpleasant way, by means of a punishment and a plague. Ramban goes on to say that while it was David's error that he did not let Yoav collect money from the people to make a permissible means of counting them, the people too were held responsible for not volunteering the coins. They too were familiar with the Torah and its commandments. And so it came to pass that God allowed David to go wrong by leading the people into danger. Hashem allowed David to be, quote, instigated into causing suffering, persecuting his own people, because he had said that God instigated Shaul to sin by persecuting him. And thus David became the immediate or proximate trigger for the plague. But the plague itself was in fact caused by a deeper and earlier sin, the failure of the nation to try to build the Beis HaMikdash, the failure to desire the greater intensity of revelation of God that the temple would offer them. We might ask, why is this chapter included in Divrei Hayamim at all? After all, this is David's book, in a sense, and Ezra is usually pretty careful not to show David in a poor light. The Chida says, although this chapter begins ingloriously, 
where it ends up is sublime. Verses 15 and 16. And God sent a malach, a messenger of divine force, to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he destroyed, God saw and reconsidered the evil, and he said to the destroying malach, Rav, that is plenty, Ato heref yodecho, now withhold your hand. And the malach had stopped at the threshing floor of Arnon the Yevusi, and David lifted his eyes, and he saw the angel of God standing, Bein ha'aretz uvein ha'shamayim, between the earth and heaven, and its sword was drawn in its hand, extended over Jerusalem. And David and the Zikanim, the elders, were covered in sackcloth, and they fell upon their faces in prayer. Verse 17, And David said to God, It was I who said to count the nation. This flock, what did they do? Hashem, my Lord, please set your hand upon me and my family, but let not your people have the plague. David's response illustrates his great righteousness. First, because David does not defend his error, he admits it and seeks forgiveness immediately. Second, David begs Hashem to limit any punishments to David himself and to spare the nation as a whole. This is even more remarkable when we remember that the people's sin was either rebelling against David himself, which David doesn't seem to hold against them, or not caring deeply enough about building the base Hamikdash, which David himself would give almost anything to be able to achieve. The Midrash Sifri on Dvarim says, The real leaders of the Jewish nation are those who live their lives for the people, like Moshe, who begs forgiveness for the people, and if not, God, please erase me from your book. And David, who says, it was I who said to count the people. Most of all, says the Chidah, At the end of this whole painful experience, God answers David's prayers and reveals the site of the Mizbeach, the altar, which David has sought for decades. Verse 18, And the Malach of Hashem said to God the prophet to tell David that, David should go up to set up the Mizbeach, the altar to God, at the threshing floor of Arnon the Yevusi. There is another layer of connection between the plague and the revelation of the site of the temple. When the punishment hits in verses 9 through 14, David says to the prophet God, Tsar li me'od, I am greatly distressed. Better I fall into God's hand, for his mercy is very great. Uviyad adam alepol, let me not fall into the hand of man. Given the choice, David chose to live life directly in God's hands, so to speak, rather than by way of a human intermediary. As always, David reaches for and clings to the directness of living life with God and maintaining active awareness of God at each moment. God's direct supervision and active involvement in human affairs, known as hashgacha, is particularly associated with the Temple Mount, characterized by Avraham Avinu as a place of both Yire and Yerae, to see and to be seen by God. Writes the Abarbanel, Our sages have explained, and it is indisputable, that there is one location that is more directly supervised than any other place. The land of Israel in general is more directly supervised and directly influenced by God's imminence than other lands. And of all Israel, the mountain of Moriah is most special of all. It is most perfect, most impacted, and therefore best suited to be the place of the Beis HaBechira, the Holy Temple. This is an idea we may be familiar with from other parts of our life. For example, in the blessing after the meals, we say, Please God, 
do not provide our needs, lolite matnas basarvadam velolite halva asam, by means of gifts or loans from the hands of people, ki but rather directly from your hand, hamleya hapsucha hakadoshava harchava, full, open, holy, and generous. David chose to live with God, even when it was difficult. And almost immediately, he was shown where he could live with God in joy and peace, the Temple Mount which he had sought for so long. As David writes in Tehillim chapter 73, Those who distance themselves from you, God, are lost. And as for me, Nearness to God is the ultimate good. I place myself with God as my shelter and my safe space. Verses 19 through 25 describe David's acquisition of Ornan's property. David came to Ornan, and Ornan looked and saw David, and he came from the threshing floor and bowed before David. And David said to Ornan, Give me the place of this threshing floor, so that I may build a mizbeach, an altar upon it to God. For full price give it to me, so that the plague may be held back from the people. And Ornan said to David, Take it, I give it all. But David said to Ornan, No, I will buy it at full price. I will not offer to Hashem what belongs to you. So David gave Ornan for the place six hundred shekel weight of gold. Verse 26, And David built there an altar to Hashem, and he brought up offerings, Vayikra el Hashem, and he called out to Hashem, Vayaanehu ba'esh min hashamayim, and God answered him with fire from heaven down upon the altar. And Hashem said to the Malach, and it returned the sword to its sheath, and the plague was ended. Our sages teach in the Psikta Rabasi, When David went to Ornan's property, where the destroying Malach was poised, he found there the ancient Mizbeach originally used by Adam HaRishon, and on which Noah had brought his offerings, and later Avraham the Akedah offering. Immediately upon finding this altar, he began measuring and saying, from here to here will be the courtyard, and from here to here will be the Holy of Holies, and so on. The Rambam in the Hilchos Beis HaBechira, Laws of the Holy Temple, quoting the Gemara, says, The location and position of the altar is extremely carefully oriented and may not be changed forever. Thus, the final verse of this topic, which has been rather arbitrarily reassigned to the next chapter according to the Christian Index system, says, Vayomer David, Zehu Beis Hashem Elohim. And David said, This is the house of Hashem the Lord. Vizem is Beach Leola Israel, And this is the altar for the Ola offerings of Israel. And so it was that after having prophetic direction to the site, having achieved clarity on the precise location of the altar, David now could set the positions for all the different areas of the holy temple around it. With the altar's position fixed as the origin point, everything else could come into shape around it. We've had eight chapters of genealogy, how we got to the point of the Malchus, the kingdom. In chapters 9, 10, 11, and 12, we learned that David became king. We learned about his early supporters. In chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, we learn about David's monarchy being established and bringing the Aron to Jerusalem and housing it properly. In chapters 16 and 17, David is redirected from building the temple and back to warfare. No, says Hashem, you are not at peace yet. That's not your job. And so David pivots and he fights in chapters 18, 19, and 20. 
Now there's the census, the plague, the revelation of the temple site, which introduces the beginning of the first temple era. Says the Seder Olam Rabbah, it was only now, during the last year of his life, that David HaMelech set up the duty watches of Kohanim and Leviim and established the whole order of the temple. Bishanah Acharona Lechayav, in the last year of his life. The books of history, Shmuel and Malachim, fall silent. David's life is ending. They are quiet. But here, in Divrei Hayamim, the book of destiny, the Ketz Hayamim, this chapter is not the end of David's kingdom. It is just the beginning. Thank you for learning together with me, Le'ilui Nishmas Rose Foreman, Rachel Rachel Bas Arieleib, and Rachel Zeitlin.